Um, you can be opening your Bibles to the book of Luke in chapter 9, the book of Luke in chapter 9. And this is the second uh, Sunday. Uh, I'm, I'm preaching for four Sundays on the prayers of Jesus found in Luke. And we will cover every time that mentions prayer and Jesus. Luke is the only one that records, um, well, he records more than any other gospel when Jesus prayed. He records nine of them. Uh, he doesn't always say what he prayed, but he says he prayed. Um, but only two of those nine appear in any other gospel. So he's given us a lot of new information as well. And uh, today we have two times Jesus prayed and we don't know what he was praying. I think the context will help us know what he was praying. But at the same time, we don't know. But I think we'll, we'll see it in the context. I'm calling this one today Prayer Reveals. Uh, and, and what does it reveal? It reveals you. <laughs> reveals your heart. It reveals the heart of God. It reveals... Uh, a relationship with God. This is why Jesus prayed. He had a relationship with the Father. He wanted to, wanted to talk to him. And so we're, we're going to look at these two passages. Both are in, in, in Luke chapter 9. And I, I don't know what your prayer life is like. I, I, I don't think I've ever met a Christian that said, man, my prayer life is right on this money. I am doing everything I should and can do. I, I, I mean, prayer warriors don't say that, right? And, and the reason is, I, I don't think you can pray enough. The Bible says pray without ceasing, right? And, and Jesus is an example of prayer. We would think that he didn't need to pray because we don't understand. He was doing everything as a human. He had to be filled with the Spirit. He had to have the Father talk to him. And then he says that in all the Gospels, and John especially says, I don't say my own words, I say the words that the Father tells me to say. So, so there's a, an example here in Christ. So I don't know how you pray. I know uh, I, I read a story about uh, an old sailing vessel and there was a guy on the ship, and he, he was kind of a Christian. He'd gone to church. He was more religious than the rest of the guys who were pretty raw. And they ran into a storm, and the ship was about to sink, and they're in danger, and they got scared. And they said, hey, man, pray for us. And he said, guys, I haven't been in church in years. I haven't prayed in a long time. They said, we don't care. You're the only one that's ever prayed. Would you pray? And so he prayed. He said, dear Lord, it's been 15 years since I prayed to you, but if you'll help me this one time, Help us get to safety. I promise I won't bother you for another 15 years. <laughs> yeah, we, we <laughs> thank you. Yeah, y'all take that one home and think about it all day. But sometimes we think we're bothering the Lord when we pray. He told us to pray. He commanded us to pray. He wants us to pray because in prayer we realize it wasn't us, it was him. Right? When God acts, we say, you know what? I prayed, and God did that. And sometimes we think it's because you prayed. Now, God, God wanted you to be aware that he was acting. That's why you prayed about it. That's why he put it on your heart to pray. I believe the Bible tells us to pray. The Bible says that effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It says that about Elijah, who said he had the same kind of, he's the same kind of man as you. He was a man of weakness. He's a man of, of struggle. Yet, he prayed, and God uh, fulfilled what God had for him to do. So, God will do that for us. And so, the phrase I want you to take home is, as we pray, Christ is revealed. Now, I need to say a word about that because taking that at face value, there's a lot of bad things that you could conclude. One is that it is in prayer that God comes and he gives you something new. He reveals what is in the scripture about Christ. He helps us understand this. We don't know anything about Christ that we count on outside of the scripture. Everybody understand? The will of God is found in the scripture. When you open it, God speaks. When you close it, God goes silent. 
If you want to hear God speak out loud, read it to yourself out loud, and you will hear God, because these are his words, right? Now, he records things that aren't his words for our teaching, but, but this is what we're supposed to know. So, I don't want you to go away thinking, oh, if I pray, but I want you to think about Christ. When he got up and he went out before dawn, the Bible says, he didn't find a street lamp and pull out his little New Testament and start reading, did he? He prayed. Now, he is the living word of God. He is the one who gave us all of the word of God. The spirit moved, but it's at his direction. So, so he felt it necessary to pray, and he did pray. So we should do the same. And so we have two events in the same chapter. And I was going to call this sermon Spiritual Intensity, because I always give sermons a working name, because that's part of what's going on here. Excuse me, I just finished teaching Sunday school as well, so... I'm extra thirsty. Um, the two events are the Mount of Transfiguration and before that, Peter's confession of Jesus as Christ. These are high, high spiritual important events because without understanding who Jesus is, we wouldn't be here right now. The church would not exist, right? We have to understand Christ and who he is for this to have happened or he would have just been some other religious leader. Also, the transfiguration, uh, what we call transfiguration, you never heard that. I'll show it to you in a second. Uh, but in that, we see that God comes and puts another stamp of approval on him and is really saying a lot there. But Jesus is being instructed about going to the cross. I won't talk about next week, but the week after, we'll be talking about the prayers of Jesus at the cross. Going to the cross and on the cross. Well, at least one is recorded on the cross. Uh, actually, a couple, but the one in Luke we'll look at. And so, these are very, 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 very important. I put it in my notes on the point. It's not just important, it's vital. It, it is the life of the church, Peter's confession. So, those are the verses uh, 18 and 20. Um, I'm going to go all the way to 26 as we talk about this. And here, here's what it says about Peter's confession. Begin, if you will, with me in verse 18. As it happened, as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do crowd, the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old is risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. Now, I, I want to I tell you something that's going on here. We, we have to put the Gospels together. And, 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 and sometimes you read different accounts and different Gospels. And they look different or whatever. There's a couple reasons. One is, he might have done something more than once. And it looks similar, but it was kind of the same thing. That's one thing. Two, it's from a different perspective. Number three... God had a purpose for this guy to write it this way and this guy to write it that way. So we put it together and figure out everything that happened. So this is a very short confession. The one in Matthew 16 uh, is, is a lot longer, a lot more detailed. But Luke is the only guy that points out Jesus was praying. And by the way, the setting of this I think is extremely important. It's Caesarea Philippi. It says he was in that region. In that region are the gates of hell. Literally, there's a place known as the gates of hell. When Jesus talked about the gates of hell, he referred to that. The, uh, the god Pan is believed to be coming out of that area. Uh, it, this was a high 
evil spiritual place in the land of Israel. It's at the foot of Mount Horeb, uh, Mount Hermon, sorry, Mount Hermon. And there's a lot of spiritual activity. And Jesus goes there for the disciples to figure out that he is the Messiah. In other words, he gets right up in the devil's face and says, yep, that's who I am. And I'm coming for you. I want you to understand that. We are at war. Jesus told us we have an enemy that seeks only to kill, steal, and destroy. I told you today about warfare going on. Spiritual warfare, not just political, physical warfare in a place in Africa. That still happens. This is spiritual, not physical. And Jesus comes to this place and he's praying alone with the disciples sitting there. I, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> Honestly, you, you look at that and go, he, he got them all up there and then he just starts praying and leaves them sitting there. So they're watching him. And, and I, I don't know why. And it doesn't say what he, Luke doesn't say what he's praying about. Notice he just says, as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. So they're just hanging out. I, I, I guess it was out loud. I don't know. Maybe they're listening to what he said. And we don't know what he's saying. But I do know this, that when Jesus prayed, he was praying for you as well. I, I, I know that because of John 17. I, I wrote out the verses to read, but it, it is a lot of verses. But, but in John 17, beginning verse 20, listen to this first part of it. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. If the apostles had dropped the ball, you wouldn't be sitting here. But they witnessed, and the, the people that came to Christ, they witnessed, and the people that came to Christ, they witnessed, on down to you. For over 2,000 years, if you could know it, there's an unbroken chain back to these apostles of a witness coming into your life. And so Jesus in John 17 had you in mind when he prayed. Those who would be saved much, much later. And, and I, I, just let me read the next verse. because He says that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. God wants us as believers to be one in him. And I'll let the church respond. Amen. And we're, we're, we're not that. I, I, I encourage you to go home and read John 17. There's a lot more verses. He talks a lot about that, how we're supposed to love one another, be one in Christ. And because if we're not, we can't give a, the message of the gospel to the world, can we? So what is Jesus praying about, which we don't know, but the question, I think, reveals the prayer. What did he ask? When he comes out of that prayer, he asked them, who did the crowd say I am? Right there in verse 18. We know what he's going to ask after that. Here's what I think he was praying. This is a guess. This is Stuart. This is a Bible. I've got to make that real clear. I don't like to say something from up here and you think I've got some special knowledge. I do not. But I don't think he was saying, now I lay me down to sleep. When he was praying there, knowing the disciples are listening and knowing what he's about to ask. What I think he was doing was saying, Lord, open their spiritual eyes so they realize who I am and what the mission is here. Let them know I am the Messiah. I am the chosen one. I'm the one who's come to redeem the world from sin, to, to bring all the world into one body, the church. Help them know that. And he's going to use a technique in teaching. I, that's what I believe he's probably 
could have been praying about anything. I don't know. But the question he asked coming out of it was, hey, who's everybody think I am? This is called bracketing. If you've got to hit a target, sometimes you throw something at it, you see where it hits. You go, we're right there, we need to adjust over here, and you bracket it in, you throw another one. Bam, okay, I'm even closer, and you keep bracketing in. This is just a teaching technique. Ask a general question, come down to the specific. He only asked two. He got to the point real quick. But he said, well, what, what, who do the crowd say I am? And all the disciples answer him, and they say stuff like, John the Baptist, Elijah, and others. Some, one of the old prophets has come back to life. And then Jesus asked a second question. Who do you say that I am? Now, we got a problem in English. In this, in this verse, we got a problem. The word you. Because you, 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 you. Now, where I'm from, we can fix that. Y'all. And that may be the front row. All y'all's everybody in here, right? <laughs> he says y'all. This is plural. Who do you guys say I am? He's wanting one of the 12 to come up with the answer. But he wants all the 12 to understand it, doesn't he? Now we know in Matthew 16 and here, it is Peter who speaks up. And Peter says, the Christ of God, the Messiah of God. In Matthew, he gives more detail. Matthew gives a lot more detail. You are the Messiah, the chosen one, the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus in Matthew says, you're blessed, Peter, because you didn't figure that out on your own. He says, God revealed that to you. Luke lets know he was praying that God would do that. Sometimes when you're praying for people to be saved, maybe that'd be a good way to pray. Lord, let them see who you are. Now, here's the problem with that. You may be the only Jesus they ever see. Right? You may be the only Bible they ever read. You, you may be the person that has to show them what Jesus looks like. And that may not be easy. But we ought to pray that God would open their eyes. Because what does the Bible say about us before we know Christ? That we're dead in trespasses and sins. I have never seen a dead person that would respond to, to external stimuli. At all. Their nerve system is dead. Their brain is gone. They cannot hear me. They cannot see. They cannot respond. The Bible says you are dead in trespasses and sin. You can't respond to God unless God does something. The Bible says, King James used the word quicken. How many of y'all remember the word quicken out of King James? Right. That used to, we used to make jokes with that word. You know, like two kinds of people here at supper time, the quick and the dead, right? Because that's what the Bible says. And that just meant the, the alive and the dead. But, you know, we, we use the word quick the way we use it. So God brings you to life to understand that you need him. You wouldn't respond to God if he didn't already do a work in you. You know and you need God is God telling you, hey, dude, you were dead. I woke you up so you could know that I love you enough for you to come to me and I can save you. And so that's why I tell people at invitation time, listen, if you feel a need of God, that's God talking to you right now. Because God has to get us to that point because we're hopelessly lost, helpless without him. And so... But what was the difference here? What, what is the difference that, that Peter came up with it? God told him so. And Jesus was praying for them, I believe, to know that. He could have been praying, like, like I said, about a lot of things. And they're listening to him. Or maybe he's praying silently. I don't know. But I know they got the answer. And, and, and I doubt he was saying it out loud and then asked them and they didn't all get it. 
But Peter speaks, but he speaks for the, all of them. Because, as I said, this confession is critical and even vital for the church. Because in Matthew 16, he, I, I tell you what he said. He said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. And I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He said that in the presence of the gates of hell. And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he gives authority to the church to bring the gospel to the world. And if we'll go into a locked area and say, Lord, we want to unlock this door. We need your help. You gave us the keys. Send us into the darkness and help us to bring the light. God will answer. Amen? Amen? You think Stanton's dark? Absolutely. There are people in this building right now, they're in darkness. The only way it breaks the darkness is to bring the light of Christ in there. Amen? I, I, I firmly believe that. The church is built on this confession. In, in Luke, in verses 21 22, he says, And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. When Jesus was rose from the dead, they forgot that he said that, remember? They said, we forgot he told us that. Well, Luke records that he did tell us that. But I want you to catch something. The entire church, and I don't mean just Calvary, but I do mean Calvary, but the entire group of believers must know and confess Jesus is Messiah, Jesus is Lord. God did come in the flesh, in Christ, right? We come to a full realization of that in prayer because we, in prayer we realize who we are and who he is. We realize we are nothing and got nothing and are nobody and he saved us and all the work he does that happens through us is because of his doing. And as, as believers together, we have to confess he's the Christ. In fact, later... Uh, in the epistles, that is the test of, of evil spirits. He's a test of spirits. Don't trust them. If they cannot say that Jesus is Christ, that God has come in the flesh in Christ, it is not of the Holy Spirit. And so we, we know that. But all of us must know that because he calls us to suffer in that. You know, I, I said there might be people in here that that are in darkness. And I didn't say might, I said I'm sure there are, and, and I, I do believe that. But there are people that know he is God, but don't love him. We, we get confused. We think knowledge is acceptance, or knowledge is... There are people that acknowledge Jesus is God, but don't love Jesus as God. You follow me? What do you do if you love somebody? You, you, you give up part of yourself to please them, don't you? Well, God didn't ask you to give up part of yourself. He, gave, he commanded you to give up all of yourself. To please the Father. Did, did y'all hear me? He said, you got to die. Did you catch? I know you didn't because I didn't catch it when I read it the first time either. I read verses 21 and 22 to you. And in verse 22, the Son of Man must suffer many things. Well, we know what he's talking about, right? Here, here's a preacher technique. Drives some people crazy. We tell you everything he didn't say. 
And then we tell you what he did say. You know what he didn't say? He didn't say the Messiah, that the Son of Man will suffer. He didn't say the Son of Man might suffer. He didn't say the Son of Man would be really good if he did suffer. He said, must suffer. There's no church without his suffering, is there? There are no believers without his suffering. It is his suffering that brought us to the cross. And then he says something that sounds totally crazy. In verse 23, and he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Isn't that out of order? He hadn't gone to the cross yet. Why is he talking about cross? Well, they knew what a cross was. They knew what happened on a cross. They knew that Rome put people on crosses to kill them, but torture them before they die. And Jesus knew he was headed to the cross. And if we love him, we'll take up our cross and follow him. By the way, I said there are people or entities that know God but don't love him. Let me, let me tell you at least one group of those. They're called demons. The Bible says in James, you believe in God? Good job. The demons believe and tremble. But there are no demons going to heaven. You know who else knows God but doesn't love him? Me. Before I know Christ, before I'm saved. And you before you're saved. The second before you say yes to Jesus, you know him but you don't love him because you're not following him. But when you say yes to Jesus, you're saying yes, I will follow you and I will pick up my cross and I will follow you daily. I will suffer and die with you. Because the Bible tells in Romans, if we died with him on the cross and were buried with him, we'll be raised with him. It's a prerequisite for eternal life is you got to die. Doesn't seem to make sense, but he didn't, these bodies can't live forever. So we have to die not only to this body, but also to our, this fallen nature that we have. He puts that to death and he gives us a brand new creation inside and then the body that carries that brand new creation has to die for that soul to get to go to heaven and be with Jesus and when Jesus comes back he'll resurrect our body make it new make it different and put our souls back together with our bodies but he says there if anyone had come after me let him deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever for loses his life for my sake will save it you can't live forever apart from Christ And he says it's not worth it to try to keep yourself alive in this world because this world is not a friend. And so he went before us to death. He said, I must suffer for you to be saved. And then I expect you to suffer with me. He says, whoever will save his life will lose it. For what is the profit of man gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in glory, the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Can you imagine? You, you, you got your fire insurance. Yeah, I prayed that prayer. I, 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 make, well, I want to make sure I go to heaven when I die. But I want to live like I want to live. And you're doing your thing and some guy says, hey, don't you go down to that church? Oh, yeah, my wife makes me go. Yeah, I go down there and just keep my wife happy. Well, my kids, you know, I want my kids to grow up right from wrong. But, you know, it don't don't mean nothing. And then one day you're standing before the one who suffered and died for you and says, really? 
You denied me? I don't know you. That's the scariest words in the Bible, Matthew. Says to the goats, I never knew you. Depart from me. They said, but we did this and we did that. Yeah, so what? You denied me. Pretty powerful verses here. The disciples must take up their cross if you're going to have fellowship with Christ. He said, I tell you truly, some stand here won't taste death till they see the kingdom of God. The second event where Christ is praying, and in that prayer, Christ is revealed as Messiah, and he's revealed to the disciples as he prayed for them. And I'm sure after that, their prayers followed suit. But we call it the Mount of Transfiguration. He's on a mountain. Now, I want to just help you with something. This isn't relevant, but if you go and look at other Gospels, you're going to find out in two other Gospels where it talks about this, it says six days, and Luke says eight. Let me tell you why. Jews counted a day from a certain time of day to a certain time of day. Six to six. So the other two did Jewish time. It was six full days. Luke is very precise. He counts part of one day and part of another. And he says, so about eight days. Because they wouldn't count the whole day because the middle of this day, and it was the middle of this day when it happened. So they wouldn't say it was full day because all 12 hours hadn't gone by. You understand? So it's very easy to understand that. So Luke says, so about eight days later, look at verse 28. About eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and James and John, John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Have you ever noticed that? Probably not because it's two words and only in Luke. That he went up on that mountain to pray. He did not go on the mountain to be transfigured unless he already knew that. But the Bible doesn't say he knew it. It says he went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, his appearance, the appearance of his face was altered, the Bible says. And his clothing became dazzling white. And two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, because, because he said he's the Lord of the living, not the dead. They're not dead. They're alive. They're just not here. Who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which was about to be accomplished in Jerusalem. Wow. That is mind-blowing. In, in the first instance, he wanted them to understand who he was before this event happened so that they would hopefully get the point where he's revealed not only to be just a man, but also to be fully God. It, it, we try to put God in a box. I don't know if you realize this. Um, theologians, we try to figure out a box that we can fit God in, and we can't. You can't build a box big enough to contain God, right? He emptied himself of glory and everything. And but on the Mount of Transfiguration, that humanity kind of melted away and they saw his glory. Now, I don't know about you, but that would freak anybody out. It flat blew their minds. In fact, so much so they went to a daze. The Bible says they kind of went out of it. They, they didn't even realize. They, they knew enough to know what was going on. Why Moses and Elijah? A couple reasons. Didn't God speak to Moses on a mountain? Didn't Elijah have some victories on a mountain? Yeah. Where's the body of Moses? Well, the Bible says he did die and the angels buried him. But in Jude, the Bible says that Satan is disputing with Michael the archangel about where they buried him. And he said, I'm not going to talk to you about that. The Lord rebuke you. That's none of your business. That's God's business. And we're not, we're not saying anything about it. Right? So Moses died in strange circumstances. Elijah also, he didn't die. He was just carried up in a in a whirlwind. You said, I thought it was a chariot of fire. No, the chariot of fire is in front of the whirlwind. 
he, he went up in the whirlwind that came behind it. He got sucked up in the, as it went by, right? And he dropped the cloak back off to Elisha. Y'all can read that story. If you, it's a great story. It's better than any movie made. I looked up a word here. It said, they spoke to him of his departure, which was about to be accomplished in Jerusalem. You know what that word is in the Greek language? Exodus. He's fixing to leave. Now, can God die? No, unless he makes himself vulnerable as a human. And he did. Does he know what it's like to die? Yes, but he's never experienced it. Moses and Elijah come along and go, you're on track, buddy. It's about to happen. But don't worry, here we are. You see, we're good. You're going to be good. I don't know if he needed that encouragement or not, but it says they came and talked to him about, you're fixing to leave. The time is coming. It's about to happen. You're right on track. Hang in there. Because he's a human and he did everything as a human. And the Holy Spirit had to empower him and strengthen him and comfort him. It's kind of interesting in the text here what happens. He, he, he's praying and he gets transfigured. And it, let me just read the scripture. And Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. Why did they get sleepy? Because we aren't built to be in that kind of presence. It'll knock you out. It knocked John out in Revelation when he sees the risen Lord. He fell as a dead man. We can't handle it in this body. And so Luke puts it gently. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter, being ADHD, said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we're here. Let's make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And I love Luke's comment, not knowing what he said. In other words, Peter's an idiot. He always did this, okay? And that's true. Peter was an idiot, so am I, so is everybody. But he didn't know what he was saying. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came. I said, why Moses and Elijah? There's something else about Moses and Elijah. Moses is the guy who gave us the law. The first five books. God gave the law to Moses, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Moses wrote, contains the law that, is, that Judaism is built upon. Elijah is counted as the greatest prophet ever. And so his story in 1 Kings, 1 Chronicles, and, and those books, you can find his story. Amazing what he did. It, it, it blows your mind. And then he didn't die. He just got taken up to heaven and changed. And so they represent, and the Jews would even say the Old Testament, they called it the law and the prophets. Moses and Elijah. I think that's important because of what God said. Because what did Peter say? Hey, let's camp out here with Moses and Elijah. We got the law and the prophets. Let's stay here and talk to them. He forgot about the third guy there. And a voice, <laughs> and verse 34, and saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. You just said that a week ago, Peter. Listen to him. Not to Moses and Elijah. He's not saying ignore the Old Testament. What he's saying is Jesus is the final word. 
That's what it tells us in Hebrews. God is speaking in many ways, in many times, in many places, in many ways. And these last days is spoken through his son who sat down. Read Hebrews chapter 1. Jesus is the final word of God. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. A little bit later, and the word became flesh, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John says, we beheld his glory. Where did he behold it? On the Mount of Transfiguration. And he says, he's the word. Listen to him. John records his mom saying, whatever he says, do it. Because they got the message. Peter wanted the wrong thing. He wanted to hang out because that was all he knew. But there was something better coming that Christ was going to die for our sin. The Holy Spirit would live with us so that we could understand the Bible from Genesis through everything that would be written in the New Testament. And these guys were going to help write it. God spoke up. The law and the prophets are gone. The Son is now here. Listen to Jesus. And that's what I would tell you. Listen to Jesus. I'm not saying don't listen to the Old Testament because the Old Testament tells us about Christ. That's what the apostles preached out of the Old Testament. But you don't establish a religion on the Old Testament. We worship God through what Jesus did. And we listen to what he said, how we do things. Right? Right? That's part of the doctrinal statement of Southern Baptists. That the scripture is understood uh, through Jesus. All scripture is understood about Christ. He makes this whole together. He is the... The center point. And as Jesus was praying, this happened. Again, we don't know what he's praying. Probably, since what happened is, uh, Father, I see that cross coming. I know I'm the one that thought this up, but man, now I'm sitting here in this body and it is not going to be fun. I'm just speaking as a human. I don't know what Jesus said. I need a little bit of help here. Okay, I'll send you Moses and Elijah. They'll talk to you about it. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe it's just like, hey, God, you got to let them know what's going on here. I don't know what he prayed. The Bible doesn't tell us, but I know this. God answered that prayer and let his humanity drop so he could talk to Moses and Elijah and strengthen him to go all the way to the cross, which he did. And in the middle of that, gave us the message. Hear Jesus Listen to him. Jesus said, search the scriptures, for in them you find eternal life, and these are the they that talk about me. That is brought to life on the Mount of Transfiguration, which we don't know exactly where that mountain is, but six days later, they might have been hanging out at the same spot. And Jesus once again gets in the face of our enemy near the gates of hell and says, I'm going to the cross going to be something let me ask you a question are you praying for the holy spirit to reveal to lost people around you who jesus is are you asking him to show you more of himself so that you can talk about him to other people secondly another question are you carrying your cross in fellowship with christ the cross is not an instrument of torture, it's an instrument of death. It means that you die to yourself and you just want God's will in your life, no matter what that, count, what that cost. We've, we, we just heard today of church having to willingly sacrifice their rights and their, themselves in order to continue the work. 
And they, they've lost something, but they didn't lose their salvation. They, they didn't lose their integrity. I, I pray that they will not suffer persecution in a physical way. We, we, we're not guaranteed that. And their boldness ought to not only break our heart, but lead us to boldness. So are you carrying your cross? And then thirdly, John 15, he says to abide in Christ. Are you abiding there? Not in laws and rules. So many of us, we, we want to be right. And so, we, well, what are the rules? What do you want me to do? Nobody can keep the rules. Even the people that keep the rules can't keep the rules. We call those politicians. Right? Exactly. And they get all mad when we catch them. <laughs> and you're just like them. And I'm just like them. You can't keep laws and rules. You got you to know Jesus. He is the answer. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, I'm the life. You come to me and I won't throw you out. I'll take you in. We, we, get in, we get on the bus with Jesus. We just go where he takes us. And we do what he asks us to do. That is the Christian life, to walk in the spirit in obedience to Christ. And in these two prayers, we see Jesus at, at very tough moments praying, not only for himself, but the people around him, that the truth would be there and that they would follow God's will, God's truth there. We don't know exactly the words he used, what he said, but we see the outflow of it. The first one, that they realize he's the Christ. The second one, that they understand he's going to have to go to the cross. So that when he did, and when it was done, and the Holy Spirit reminded them, they said, that's what he said. We got it. We forgot. But now they, they didn't forget after that, did they? And they preached, and thousands and thousands and thousands came to Christ. Would that we would know these things. God, in Jesus' name, we bow in your presence, Lord, because we realize our need. We're made of dust. We're made of clay. We're made of, of temporary stuff. And very soon, for each one of us, this body is going to wear out. And we're going to be in your presence. Lord, when we get there, we don't want to have to make excuses or stutter or stammer. We want you to be glorified in our life. So, Lord, help us to forget about ourselves and remember you. Peter's focus was wrong, even in that glorious presence. He'd heard a lot about Moses. He heard a lot about Elijah. Can't believe he's seeing them there. And you're standing there in glory, the very Son of God, and he's looking in the wrong direction. But we thank you, Father, that you spoke and said, this is my chosen one. Listen to him. So, Father, we are grateful for, for Jesus. We're grateful, Lord, that you would come and go through this suffering for us. Lord, we've not experienced this kind of suffering ever. And I pray, God, that we could be serious with you that we would our prayer life won't be every 15 years at need just when we need something knowing that we it's not a bother you said please come talk to me that's what I want I want you to do that so that I can reveal myself through my word to you by the power of the Holy Spirit through the word in prayer God wants to speak to us father we thank you for that 
And I just pray, God, there might be people sitting here. They know about you, but they don't love you. They're, they're still in darkness. But you have pricked their heart to say, you need, you need Christ. And God, I pray that if there's anybody here like that, that right now, even in this moment, that you bring them there. Lord, as, as a believer in you, Lord, when I see who I really am, when you're revealed there in glory and I see that, that I'm going to yell out the wrong thing, I'm going to want the wrong thing. And God, we got to put that to death and we've got to take up that cross as you told us. When, you, when we first heard the confession that we got to pick up that cross and follow you, follow your path. So Lord, whether we are believers that need to follow you or we're lost and need to know you to follow you, God, may you work in our heart and our life and our mind right now. We can't know this without your grace. So I just pray your grace would fall on all of us in this moment. As your believers pray that your will would be done in Jesus' name. I'm going to come stand right in front of where I've been standing. We're all going to stand up. We're going